I would like to invite you now to turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 11. Tonight we will look at verses 25 through 30 of Matthew 11. Matthew 11, verses 25 uh, through 30. Before we hear God's word, if you would join your hearts together with me in prayer one more time. Let's pray together. We bless you, O Lord, our God, and praise you for your covenant faithfulness to your people across time. We thank you, Lord, for the light of the Holy Gospel coming to us from the mouth of your Son from heaven. We pray, Father, that tonight as we hear the gospel proclaimed, as we hear salvation published, that you would open our ears to hear the voice of our Savior. We pray, Father, that we'd be led toward him and towards a greater love for him and for the church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 25. Beloved, this is God's word. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is God's word. <clears throat> well, Jesus turns from pronouncing harsh judgments on unbelief in Israel to making a gracious invitation to everyone. Verse 21, verse 28. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now these extreme opposites here do not reveal an unstable Jesus. Remember last week we saw Jesus pronouncing woes, eternal woes on the Jewish cities of Capernaum, Bethsaida, and Chorazin. Here, he's inviting people to come to him and find rest. Now, here Matthew doesn't reveal an unstable Jesus. Jesus is not psychotic. He was not someone who was prone to fits of anger. Rather, these two extremes reveal two sides of the gospel. Chorazin and Capernaum, these Jewish cities, he strongly denounced, had received this warm invitation already. They had received this invitation from Christ. Jesus performed all sorts of incredible and glorious miracles in these cities. Cities that were already, even before Jesus came, they were already in possession of God's word and the law and the prophets. And so they had been receiving an invitation to find rest in God's grace already before the Messiah had come. And yet in their hard-heartedness and unbelief, they did not repent. And therefore, destruction was certain for them. And that's what we heard last week. Woe to you, Capernaum. Only Jesus, the divine Messiah, had and has 
the authority and the knowledge to make harsh judgments like this. But it doesn't change the fact that those who ignore Christ's gracious invitation to come to him and follow him, it doesn't change the fact that they will perish in their sins as the majority of these cities would because they rejected the overtures of the gospel. Now with this said, this entire section is full of love. It's full of love and compassion and mercy. It begins with Jesus praying to his Father out loud. Verse 25, I thank you, Father, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. The first thing we notice in this communication between the Father and the Son is that Jesus was speaking to his Father. That God is his Father reveals something of the love and the fellowship that exists between the persons of the Trinity, the Father and the Son, and also the Spirit. But here, Father and Son are mentioned. This is a love that was shared between Father and Son while Jesus was on earth, for sure. Jesus prayed to his Father, and his Father heard his prayers while Jesus was on earth. But it's also a love that existed already in eternity, Jesus refers to this fellowship between the persons of the Godhead in verse 29. He says, No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. Now this is a reference to the eternal knowledge and love that Father and Son have for one another in eternity. Father, Son, and Spirit, the three persons of the Trinity Enjoying, knowing one another in all of eternity. Eternally God. Eternally glorious. Eternally self-contained. This also reveals something of the divine unity of the Father and the Son. The Son is equal to the Father in power and glory. And therefore, us to know Jesus the Son, for you to come into fellowship with the Son, with Jesus in the Gospel, is to know the Father. If you know Jesus, you know God the Father, and God is your Father. To know Jesus the Son is to know the Father, and to know the Father is simultaneously to know the Son for all who believe in Christ. So in a word, to come to Christ in faith is to know God. This is what... This is something of what this prayer from Jesus teaches us here. Now, Jesus also mentions little children here, infants even, babies. When we come to Jesus by faith, we come to the Father as his little children, knowing that he loves us in the Son as his very own children. In Jesus, God treats you as his very own Son. He loves you in the Son, and he cares for you in that way. So that in Christ, the love that is shared between Father and Son is shared with us, His children. No one knows the Father except the Son. No one knows the Son except the Father. The other thing that we see here is that God is all-powerful. When we come into fellowship with Jesus, we come into fellowship with the living God. And God becomes our Father. And who is this God? Who is our Father? What can we say about Him? Well, He is all-powerful. 
He is sovereign. He's all-powerful and sovereign in His power to judge and to save, and His sovereignty are worthy of praise. This is why we come here, to reflect upon and to praise God for His power, His sovereignty to save us. Jesus calls His Father Lord, the Lord of heaven and earth, a title that is also given to Jesus later on. And so God rules and governs over all things. And Jesus revealed that this same divine authority over heaven and earth, by his miracles, or Jesus revealed that he had this same divine authority over heaven and earth. And he revealed this by his miracles, his casting out demons, healing the sick, raising the dead. This is God in the flesh doing these things. He has the power to do them. And these miracles reveal the fact that he is God and he is, has that power. And yet, with God in their midst, we saw that some of these Jewish cities, the Jewish cities previously mentioned, did not repent. And so their judgment was just. It was not harsh. It was just. They were harsh. They were harsh against a gentle and gracious Savior who offered them salvation. Their judgment was just because God was in their midst. God, the God who dwelt among them. So Jesus here shows that the ultimate reason that these cities did not repent, though, was because of God's authority. His authority and power in election. God elects people from eternity to receive this salvation. And this is what Jesus refers to here. You have hidden these things from the wise and understanding. Now these things, these things, that phrase, these things, refers to the gospel message. It refers to everything that Jesus preached and said and taught. The knowledge of Jesus Christ as the Son of the Father and the spiritual rest that's offered in the gospel and the power that was revealed in the miracles and the word that Jesus attached to those miracles. These things. This is what uh, Jesus was referring to. It's the gospel message. The wise and understanding that Jesus talks about here are those who are proud. They're puffed up in their minds and their hearts. They're full of unbelief, like the families in Capernaum. They are too proud, too smart, too wise in their own eyes to humble themselves before the power of the miracles, before the power of God's word. They think they are wise, and therefore they reject the foolishness of the gospel. And certainly, the foolishness of a Messiah who is crucified. That's definitely something that they would not accept because they were too wise. I'll take a healing. I'll take water being turned into wine. But when it comes to a crucified Savior, that's too much for me. And so they reject the foolishness of the gospel. This is their own doing. But their final hardening, their final hardening is ultimately a work of God. It's a judgment of God against their unbelief. You have hidden these things. That is to say, you, God, Father, have kept them in darkness. That is ultimately why they did not believe. 
because he hid these things from them. He kept them in their darkness and they wanted to be there. And because of this judgment, what does Jesus show us here? He says, he shows us that God is to be praised. I thank you, Father. I thank you, Father, that you have hidden these things. Now, friends, we will be praising God in heaven for justice in the end. Right alongside praising God for his love and his mercy. I thank you, Father, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding that is a just judgment against them. Now, this is what Jesus does in his prayer. I thank you, Father, that you have hidden. And I thank you, Father, that you have revealed. And so God simultaneously hides saving knowledge of the Son and his work from those who are too smart, too proud to come to Jesus by faith. But he also actively and powerfully reveals, uncovers knowledge of the Son for another group of people. For a group of people who become like little children, even, before the gospel, in faith. Infants, as we all know, infants' lives are simple in a lot of ways. They're they instinctively, without really thinking about it, cast themselves upon the mercy of their parents. It just happens. They don't decide. They just do it. These are the kind of people who have true knowledge, real wisdom. People like you and I who come to the gospel and cast ourselves upon the feet of Christ. Cast ourselves upon this gospel that comes to us. We receive it as Spiritual milk is something we need to live. We're not too proud. We recognize our dependency. You can see the difference. That's what it means to be like infants, like little children before God, before the Son, before Christ and his gospel. These are the kind of people who have real knowledge, true and real wisdom. These people make themselves small. It's you and I, by faith in Christ, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That is what Jesus said earlier. To put it another way, the wise, the understanding, the arrogant and prideful ones will not inherit the earth. And we can praise God for that. I thank you, Father, that you have hidden these things from the prideful ones. Now, in order for us to stay small in our Christian walk, we need to appreciate what Jesus says here. That God made us Like infants. God revealed these things to little children. Now this sovereign work of God in our hearts is also a work of praise. God hides and God powerfully reveals. We would not come to God as little children had not God revealed these things to us. Had he not made us like little children. And so once we recognize, as we recognize that We have been made like children before God. We praise him for it because he has done it. He has made us like this. Notice too here that this, and this is what Jesus says here, I thank you, Father, that you have revealed. Notice too here that this divine work of revealing is also credited to the Son. It's not just the Father. In verse 27, Jesus says this, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone 
to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. The Son is part of that work as well because He is God. He is part of the work of revealing, opening our hearts, giving us a new heart to believe and receive this gospel. The Father reveals and the Son reveals. The revealing is the work of God, and we praise Him for it because we didn't do it. He did. We thank you, Father, that you have revealed these things to us, little children. Now, it's likely here that the wise and the understanding that Jesus had in mind were the hard-hearted ones in the Jewish cities, Capernaum and the other cities, but also the religious leaders at the time, for sure, the Pharisees and the scribes. In verse 28, Jesus mentions those who labor and are heavy laden. That is, they, were, they are overloaded with burdens, too, too heavy to carry themselves. Now these burdens that Jesus mentions here, they are not burdens from daily work and the struggles of, of life. That is not what Jesus is talking about. He was talking about the religious and the spiritual burdens that the Pharisees and the Sadducees laid upon the souls of the Jews. This is why Jesus offers here rest for souls. The Pharisees taught a works righteousness program. You had to earn your salvation. You had to earn your salvation through uh, obedience to man-made laws, man-made rules. You had to earn salvation by good works. In this way, the people in Israel never really knew where they stood before God. They never really knew if it was enough. And that's what happens in works righteousness programs. You never know where you stand. You're always liable to make the next mistake, and therefore you've wiped out all of the good that you've done. That's late, that, that is burdensome. That's spiritually burdensome. They could never know if they had done enough, and so their souls were heavy laden, burdened by constant condemnation from the religious leaders. Matthew, or, uh, Matthew 23, Jesus says this about the Pharisees and the scribes. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with a finger. Now what does Jesus do in the midst of this religious context? Well, he takes the heavy spiritual burden that he carried, and that we carried, and he puts it on his own shoulders. He takes that burden, and he puts it on his shoulders, and he carries it to the cross. That is what Jesus does. And in that way, we are liberated. We're set free. Come to me all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, eternal rest. We can rest spiritually in Christ. Now, friends, whether they admit it or not, this is not what all people are looking for. Rest for, or is this not what all people are looking for? It is. That is what people are searching for. Rest for their souls. Something to satisfy their spiritual longings. Rest for their souls. That is what we need. Now Jesus knows this, which is why he came and he died for us. He lifted the burden from upon us. And he invites us to him. He says, come. Come and find rest. He graciously offers to all to come and know true peace in him. To know true rest in him. Now, we don't deserve for Jesus to even look at us, to even regard us at all. But what does he do? He lifts our burdens, those burdens that were infinitely heavy, burdens we could not bear. 
He places all of them on his back. And then he speaks to us in the gospel and says, come. I'm inviting you. I'm welcoming you into my arms to find rest for your souls. Come. Well, don't be wise, friends. Don't be too proud to come to him. Be like an infant when you hear these words. Go to him. Find rest in him. Lastly, Jesus teaches us here that when we come to him, we find rest for our souls. We are not freed from obligations and activity. For Christians, we have rest. We can sleep at night knowing that we belong to God, the Father. We have rest for our souls. In faith, we embrace Christ as our Savior. He died for us. He dies for our heavy sins. He gives us permanent rest for our souls. And simultaneously, we also embrace him as our Lord and King. In this way, we take his yoke upon us. Now, a literal yoke in Jesus' day was a a frame, usually a wooden frame that was placed on the neck of an animal, particularly, for example, an ox or two oxen, to control which direction they would go. So the person uh, moving the yoke or was in charge of the yoke could control where the oxen went. As a Christian, that is what Jesus does with us. He leads us. He places his yoke upon us. He lifts our spiritual burdens, but it doesn't mean that we are free to do as we please after that. We have a yoke placed upon us. He directs our path, and so much the better for us, because if we didn't have that yoke, we know where we would go. And so we have obligations as Christians, as those who have true rest for our souls. We still have obligations, but Jesus is not harsh like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were cruel slave drivers. They delighted in control. They delighted in heaping condemnation on souls. Jesus, what does he reveal himself as here? Gentle. He's lowly. Indeed, Jesus is lowly enough to bear our burdens, to carry our spiritual burdens, and to bury them at the cross. Now, this is an incredible saying here, because this is one of the very few places, if not the only place, this may be the only place. Um, I didn't dig deep into this. I think I read this somewhere, but this may be the only place where Jesus follows the words, I am, with the description of his character. Now, certainly there's other I am statements, particularly in the book of John. He says, I, where he refers to his person, he says, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the way, the truth, and the life, which reveals something about who he is as the Messiah. And these things incredibly, indirectly, I think, tell us something of Jesus' character. We indirectly learn what Jesus is like by Uh, learning what it means for him to be the bread of life or the light of the world. But here he comes right out and says, I am gentle. I am lowly. Why would we not accept an invitation from a savior and a king like this? I'm gentle. I'm lowly. Come. Come. Find rest for your souls. It it really doesn't make any sense to not accept this invitation. We talked about Jesus not being psychotic. He's not. The 
the psychotic ones are the ones who don't accept this invitation and think that there's something else out there. There's a better king to serve. There's a better way. There's a less burdensome yoke to take upon yourself. And what is that yoke? It's a slavery to sin. That's psychotic. Jesus says, come, find rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you. I am gentle. This is the yoke Jesus is talking about in our lives as Christians, that we too would be gentle, that we would be humble, gentle, humble people like him. That's the yoke we, we carry. Now that's, that should be easy. That's what Jesus is talking about. My yoke is, it's easy. As Christians, in the power of the Spirit, we have the ability to do this, to be gentle, to be humble like him. Easing the burdens of others like him. Putting their burdens on our backs like he did. This is Christ-like. I like that yoke. I'm, I'm okay with that yoke on my neck. That's what I want to be like. Again, Jesus says this yoke is easy and light. Now, Jesus doesn't mean we won't suffer when we do this. We will. And he doesn't mean that we won't have to work hard. We will. We will work hard and we will suffer for others. Jesus suffered. Jesus worked very hard, even while being gentle and lowly. But the suffering in this work will be laced with joy and peace and contentment. Contentment, Rest for our souls in Christ. That is what you will experience as you take Christ's yoke upon you. And that yoke, again, it's easy and light because Jesus is with us when we do this. He's present with us. He's strengthening, strengthening us, giving us the grace we need to ease the burdens of others, to be gentle, to be humble like he was. And therefore, it's easy. We have his spirit. It's an easy yoke to take upon our necks. His spirit abides in us. He gives us the strength to be led by the yoke that Jesus puts on us. And so, friends, come to Jesus. Come to Christ and find rest for your souls.